Coming up, full analysis of the Senate confirmation hearings of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson for the Supreme Court. Here are my two big takeaways, and we'll dive into all the details. Number one, she is saying some of the most bizarre and radical things that you can imagine. She could not define what a woman is. That's not very good for a Supreme Court justice. Number two, the Republicans are being civil and respectful, unlike the Democrats. The Republicans are being so courteous. They're not maligning her. They're sticking to the issues. They're not attacking her character. That is the polar opposite of the vicious Democrats when they attacked and destroyed the Trump nominee. So we'll get into all the details. Of course, we must mention the sad news, we must mention the patira of Hagoin Harab Chaim Zatzal, Zitzukal, Hagoin Harab Chaim Kanyevsky, Zecher, Tzadik Ukarash Labracha. And look, uh, uh, there's so much to be said. This obviously was a massive, massive loss for Klal Yisrael. I do not believe that it's coincidental in terms of the timing, what's going on in Ukraine right now, what's going on across the world, but specifically so many Yiddin in Ukraine, so many Yiddish refugees who got out of Ukraine. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of Yiddin who are either in Ukraine or were in Ukraine. You're talking about families that are ter- that were torn apart. You're talking about lives that have been shattered. I mean, it's unspeakable the amount of tsar and pain that's happening right now for so many Yiddin, and the fact that that coincides with the patira of such a big gadol, such a big tzaddik, to me, is no coincidence. Now, I'm uncomfortable saying anything specific, as I often am, about Reb Chaim. I mean, anything I say is going to be inadequate, will not do it justice. However, let me just say a few words here, a few thoughts. Reb Chaim was beyond anything that we have ever witnessed in our lifetime, immersed in Torah study, in Torah learning, I should say, day and night, lived and breathed Torah, learned more in his Seder after Shacharis than most people learn in a week or in a month. He lived in a tiny, tiny apartment. He learned, buried himself in Svarim, and yet hundreds of thousands of people throughout, across the globe, worshipped him and were desperate to get any sort of bracha, any sort of, any sort of tiny little shred of a word from him, including non-Haredim, including secular Jews, including government officials. I mean, he was a malach. He was somebody who unified so many diverse sects of Klal Yisrael. Many, many Tamid HaChamim do not equal his pinky. And he wrote, of course, many, many incredible svarim. He only wrote svarim uh, during the extra month of an Ibrayur. So just think about that because he didn't want to waste time or he didn't want to, let's say, spend the time. Waste is probably the wrong word, but he didn't want to take the time away from his usual svarim. So he only took that extra month. Almost That's almost incomprehensible. And let me read you something that was written by somebody named Hillel Fold, uh, which I found very fascinating. Quote, imagine a person who dedicated 94 years to anything, an an artist who painted for 94 years, an athlete who trained for 94 years, a professor who studied for 94 years. We're talking about a man who lived in materialistic poverty but was a spiritual billionaire, a Torah scholar of unparalleled proportions. The man completed a cycle every year of the Chamisha Chumshe Torah, the entire Shas, the entire Kabbalah, meaning Zayar HaKadosh, uh, and endless commentary on all of those books. Of course, I'm quoting here from the article. He basically learned the entire Torah every year. It takes people a lifetime to do that, and most do not even succeed. He learned Torah 24-7, other than the time he spent 
giving people brachas. Hundreds of thousands of people went to meet Rav Chaim to get a bracha, even if it was just one word, even if it was less than one word, I, I would add, because he just gave Reishet Tevis very often. There was nothing about the Torah he did not know. It was almost supernatural. And then this man quoted somebody else who said the following, one of the many things unique about him was that he was not charismatic, not a political leader, had no formal official position or title, despite that he had millions of people who were impacted by him and his Torah. He was pure humility, pure dedication, pure righteousness, a, a fountain of Torah knowledge. One story paraphrasing that there was uh, an extremely learned Talmud Chacham who said that there were 12 things that the Rambam said that he was not able to find a makar for those things. And uh, he went to see Reb Chaim and without flinching, Reb Chaim named the makar for all 12 things. So it's pretty, pretty astonishing. Back to the quote here, the man was more Malach than he was human. And my takeaway is that I can be a little bit better. I'll never be him, but I don't think I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be the best man, the best me. And a man like Reb Chaim shows me how much potential we have as human beings. Zechusay Yogain Aleinu. Now, getting back to the other news of the day. Congress is proposing, get this, Congress is proposing, Democrats, of course, proposing stimulus checks that would help pay for gas. So, this is basically, uh, here we go, more stimulus packages, more government spending, more socialism. You cannot make this stuff up. In L.A. right now, the average gas price in L.A. is $6 a gallon. The average gas price is $6 a gallon. And somewhere it's close to, in some places it's close to $8 a gallon. We told you that this would happen. I'm, I'm telling you that Biden is inflating gas prices on purpose, by design, in order to advance his socialist radical agenda. I've, I literally said this in the last episode. I said everybody thinks that Biden is so incompetent. Uh, the, the, these Democrats, they know the basic principles of the economy, which is that all the things that they are doing, it, it, all the money that they're printing, and of course the gas shortage, the supply chain, they know the, 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 low in, the, the, the low interest rates, they know all that stuff leads to massive inflation. So it's not that they don't know what they're doing and incompetent, because simply the more impoverished that the country becomes, the better it is for the Democrats' radical leftist agenda. That's literally what we told you. And now we find out that literally the Democrats are proposing more spending bills, more socialist policies, more stimulus as a direct result of gas prices that are out of control. Because the more that we're poor, the worse inflation gets, the more crises we have, the better it is for Democrats. And they justify it. They justify making things really bad because they believe that socialism, universal basic income, is the best way to run the country. So let's make everybody poor. Then we're going to step in and we'll be the heroes. We'll be the ones who, who create all these new social welfare programs. That's their mindset here. You know, it's like Rahm Emanuel said, never let a good crisis Go to waste. I always say Al Sharpton, he wants racism because he literally he, he wouldn't he'd be out of a job if there was no racism. Ocasio-Cortez, she wants the climate to be in danger. If, 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 if Sharpton could snap his fingers tomorrow and eliminate racism, he would never do it because then he'd be out of a job. He'd be worthless. Ocasio, if she could snap her fingers, assuming climate change exists, and if she would snap her fingers and say, no more climate change, she would never do it in a million years. So the details here, Democrats are proposing a gas rebate. Americans would get an energy rebate of $100 per month and then $100 for each dependent. Families would get $100 for themselves, $100 for each dependent. That's in any month where the national average gas price exceeds $4 per gallon, which could literally be 
the, the case for the rest of our lives, or at least until we get a Republican back in office. And here's a quote from one of these Democrats, quote, the Putin price hike is putting a strain on our, on our economy. I'm proud to introduce legislation to provide middle-class Americans with monthly payments to ease the financial burden of this global crisis. So they're blaming Putin. It's not the Putin gas price hike. It's the Biden gas price hike. Other Democrats now are actually blaming big oil, those greedy oil companies. They were not greedy under Trump, but under Biden, they suddenly got so greedy. What a strange coincidence. But 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 they're actually going to make the oil companies pay for the stimulus checks. Congressman Peter DeFazio of Oregon, he has proposed the Stop Gas Price Gouging Act. Stop Great Gas Price Gouging Act. That's what they're calling it. And his bill would create a windfall profit tax on excessive corporate profits, return the revenue to American consumers. Big oil is foaming at the mouth. This is a quote from DeFazio. After price gouging Americans in 2021 to make record profits, big oil is now reaping the benefits of Vladimir Putin's price hike. So they're literally making it like some kind of conspiracy. I mean, it's unreal. It's it, it's so it's absurd because the gas prices have been like sky high way before Putin's invasion. And it's clearly as a result of Biden. But they're saying, well, look, this is big oil being greedy and it's Putin. So we're going to make big oil. Those companies are going to be paying for the stimulus packages. I mean, it's exa- they scripted it so perfectly to fit their agenda. They want to they want to crush big oil, punish big oil because big oil is bad for the environment. So they're evil and they're a very large corporation. Democrats hate you know, large, wealthy corporations. And, uh, you know, you, you you absolve Biden of the blame and you have the stimulus money. So more government spending, which is what they're addicted to. All right. So let's get into the Senate hearings for Judge Katanji Brown Jackson for the Supreme Court. And like I said, Republicans are being extremely civil. They're so the Democrats. They, they fight dirty. Democrats are vicious. They are ruthless. They are cutthroat. They don't care who they're destroying which family, which children, as long as it benefits their agenda. The Republicans, on the other hand, and it frustrates some people. Some people say, listen, why don't the Republicans ever fight dirty? Why can't the Republicans? That's how you win. The way you win is you cheat like the Democrats, but you know, and, and you engage in mudslinging. But that's not how Republicans operate, So, which a lot of people would respect. But then I know so many people think, yeah, but the Democrats win this way and the Republicans lose. <laughs> so, you know, we know about you know Harry Reid, who... You know, put, uh, in, in, implemented the nuclear option with the judges, got rid of the filibuster, etc. Anyway, no personal attacks. The Republicans are sticking to issues. Remember the Democrats, how vicious they were against Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. They maligned their character. They all these vicious personal attacks. They accused Kavanaugh of this heinous behavior. They tor- tormented the man with his family, his wife and kids sitting right there, accusing him of all sorts of horrible things with zero evidence and with tons of witnesses denying that it ever took place. Amy Coney Barrett. I mean, literally, the Democrats put up posters. Here's how they treated Coney Barrett is they they, they depicted her as a vicious monster, which they, it was disproven. And, and here's why. Because, which no, nobody, there was no basis for it to begin with. But, but here's what they did. They put up these posters of, of pictures of, of people on Obamacare. Around Coney Barrett, the Democrats, literally at her Senate confirmation hearings, they put up these pictures and images and posters uh, of people who were on Obamacare. That was their, 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 covered by Obamacare. That was their health insurance coverage. 
And they claimed, well, she's going to overturn Obamacare. By the way, if you overturn Obamacare, that doesn't make you an evil person, obviously. That means that you believe that, you know, legally speaking, that it's unconstitutional, which I happen to believe. But the point is that that was their claim is, look, how could she do this? She's going to make millions of – she wants millions of people to suffer, millions of people to get sick and not have health insurance coverage. That's what the Democrats do. That's how they attack. But And the amazing thing was – so they vilified her. They demonized her. It turns out that she ruled in favor of Obamacare. There was a specific case. We're not going to get into. We 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 went we went deep into it when when it was happening, and she literally ruled that Obamacare was legal and constitutional once she got on the court. So that whole attack it was completely gratuitous and uh, vicious and totally totally like crossed a line, you know, crossed every line in the book, it, it, it totally inappropriate and fighting dirty, getting down to the mud. But it wasn't even true. So the Democrats, this is what they do. They rigged the election. They, you know, they, they lie, they cheat. And that's that's why they win. Despite having terrible candidates and terrible policies, they win because they cheat. Now, by the way, just so you know, Katanji Brown Jackson, she is going to be confirmed. I mean, this is a done deal. So everything going on right now. Same, same thing, by the way, with Kavanaugh and Barrett. Is was, was the Democrats? It was all theatrics. So with the Republicans, I wouldn't call it theatrics. With the Republicans, the Republicans, they're trying to expose her because she's had some really extreme, you know, judicial philosophies and 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 rulings and things that she has said. And she said some things that have been really. Absurd and ludicrous. So the Republicans, they want to at least expose it so that the country's aware, but it's not going to make any, any difference. The Democrats have enough votes to, uh, to, to, you know, to confirm her. And there are, there are going to be some Republicans as well who do vote in favor of, although I'm hoping not too many. But here's what she said. She said some absurd things. They literally asked her point blank. Marsha Blackburn, Senator of Tennessee, Republican. They asked her, how do you define what a woman is? And she says, I don't know the definition of woman. I don't know. She says she's not a biologist. She, so apparently you need to be a bi. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you? This is like this is going to be a Supreme Court justice and she cannot define a woman. She cannot. And she says this with a straight face. And then she says, I'm not a biologist. Uh, well, let's see. What is water? How would you define water? Well, I don't know. I'm not a chemist. How should I know what water is? What are you like? Is this like are are we actually seeing this play out? Is this like some figment of our imagination? Well, can you define what an airplane is? Oh, how do you expect me to define what an airplane is? I'm not a pilot. How should I know what I mean? She went to Harvard. She went to Harvard. She's not a biologist. She's the first ever black woman nominated for the Supreme Court. Black woman, except that she doesn't know what a woman is. Like, you need to define woman. How are we supposed to know that she's the first black woman if if we can't even define it? It, 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 Like, you cannot make this stuff up. What about black? Well, how do you define black? Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not a chemist or I'm not a painter. I'm not, I don't know what. So how am I, I'm not a Crayola maker. How am I supposed to know what black is? Well, so maybe she's not, maybe this is really a white man who was nominated for the Supreme Court. Biden messed up. He was supposed to nominate a black woman. This is what happens, by the way, folks, when you choose the nominee based on gender and based on race, you get somebody who says crazy things. Ludicrous things. And by the way, this underscores how ludicrous the, the whole Democrat Party is, because if she would if you would go and define the word woman, if you would define woman, uh, then you're a conservative. You're like you're like a bigot. Well, well, what's a woman? Well, I'll tell you what a woman is. And you need to go and define biologically speaking what a woman is. 
well, then there's like something wrong with you. How dare you? How dare you say that? You're like you're evil if you if you if you define it. And uh, she also claimed that you know she called President Bush a war criminal in a legal briefing at one point. President Bush, she called him a war criminal. She was asked about that. She said she never intended to disparage him. Well, okay, gee, well, as long as you say, you know, no offense, but you're a war criminal. You're like another Vladimir Putin. She refused to acknowledge that there are biological differences between men and women. She refused to say, and by the way, it's it's relevant to being a judge. You know, you're going to say, well, what does it matter if she can define woman? Because as Ted Cruz pointed out to her, it does matter. I don't care if she's a biologist or not. There's going to be people who claim that they were discriminated against on the grounds of that they're female and that they were, you know, uh, gender discrimination. So, she, so, so she, it, she is going to have to rule on that. Well, you can't really rule on b- being discriminated against for being a woman if you don't even know what a woman is. She refused to say. So she was asked by Ted Cruz, "I'm a Hispanic. Can I decide that I'm really an Asian?" She refused to answer the question. I mean, this is it, it boggles the mind. She she was asked if an unborn child can feel pain at 20 weeks old. She refused to answer. She was asked if she regrets sentencing a vicious criminal to just three months in jail. She refused to answer. And as I said, the Democrats will do – this is so important to realize the difference between Democrats and Republicans. Democrats will do anything that it takes to win. They don't care how – who they crush or they don't mind cheating, lying – breaking the rules. They changed the election rules, right? They made everybody eligible for write-in ballots, and they blamed it on COVID. That led to led to massive election fraud. They covered up scandals like the Hunter Biden laptop scandal, which was a major, major, massive scandal. They literally didn't let people know, the American people know the truth, because that might interfere with Biden getting elected. They impeached Trump. They impeached Trump twice. They impeached Trump twice over absolutely nothing. And here's what's very important, very important to realize that the Democrats are so much so much more vicious and nasty and 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 evil people and disgraceful people than Trump. Trump is always the one who's accused of being a monster. The Democrats get a pass, but the Democrats are the real monsters. And I want to explain this because, you know, a lot of people, you know, you kind of buy into this narrative that like, well, the Democrats are really not so bad. They're nice people. They smile. I don't agree with their policies, but uh, I'm not going to attack them personally, but Trump, he, uh, he's so Trump, – Trump is such a degenerate and, and, and his character is so flawed. No, 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 no. The Democrats are so much worse than Trump. Here's why – and even some Republicans, they'll accuse Trump of being this monster. But here's the thing. What does Trump do? Let's say he exaggerates. Let's even say that he lies. Let's say that. Let's say that he insults – you know, that Trump claims there were more people at his inauguration or whatever. You come up with something that he said, you know, claims that his policies are different than they are. Than they are. Trump, he, he insults people, right? He can be nasty. Even, even, even people in his own party in the White House, in, in his own – on his own staff, right? Those are personal flaws. Trump's flaws are personal flaws. So they don't affect – his policies, they don't affect the country. This is what's so important is people have to distinguish between character flaws, personal character flaws. And I'm not defending Trump here, you know, but, you know, but even though obviously everyone knows I'm a big supporter of Trump because I think 
that he did so much, so, so many good things for the country. And, and, and not the least of which is the COVID vaccine, which never would have happened or would have happened years later if not, if anyone else had been president other than Trump, including many Republicans, I would add. But that's the thing is Trump, whatever personal character flaws he has, they don't affect his policies or the country at large. The Democrats, it's the opposite. Yes, maybe they smile. Maybe their tweets are very boring and very innocuous. But they really they, – they destroy people. The Democrats destroy people. They cheat. They lie. They impeach. They're way more despicable and disgraceful than Trump. And that that's real policy stuff. I'm talking about things that affect the country. I mean you're talking Nancy Pelosi and Schumer and, and Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders. And yeah, the Democrats, they smile and they're all courteous and respectful. They're not like Trump. Their tweets are not nasty uh, you know, and they don't attack people personally. I mean – it simply isn't true, and they do it on a political level. They do it against, uh, you know, Supreme Court nominees. But like, they are evil, disgraceful, heinous people. Many of them, vicious people, far, far worse than Trump. A lot of Democrats would like throw their own mother under the bus if like it would help them get more votes. All right, I want to get to for a moment the Hunter Biden laptop scandal because we told you the New York Times finally admitted after like seventeen months. Of denying it, they finally admitted that the, the the laptop was legit, not a piece of phony Russian propaganda, like Biden claimed. Why? And the question is, why is the New York Times suddenly waking up now? What suddenly happened? It's a little strange, very strange for them to just wake up and admit it. And there is a theory out there that Hunter Biden is going to be indicted. That the New York Times knows that it's in, imminent, and this would be just just astonishing. There's the theory that the Times is trying to get out in front of a, of a story that could be very embarrassing to the media and to Democrats and obviously to Biden and Joe Biden himself, that Hunter Hunter is going to get indicted. So the Times, the, you know, the, the indictment would revolve around uh, all the scandals likely involving Hunter Biden, the laptop, Ukraine, China, Russia. You know, Hunter Biden took millions and millions of dollars. Now, it, it, why would Hunter Biden be indicted? There's like so many different possible crimes. I mean, there's tax fraud, tax evasion that he's being investigated for. And, uh, you know, then there's all the stuff about him being a foreign agent, about him taking millions of dollars, not disclosing it. And, and of course, the fact that uh, they were really buying off when, 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 when Joe Biden was vice president, Hunter Biden, you know, was selling influence. He was influence peddling. The Bidens were notorious for this, for peddling influence. So people were basically Russians, China, Chinese, Ukrainians. They were basically handing Biden, uh, Hunter, millions and millions of dollars in order to buy influence from Joe Biden, his father, who was VP at the time. So, and obviously that would be a bombshell scandal. Lots of different possible scandals, Hunter Biden. Those, you know, he was also a drug abuser and a drug addict for many years. So the idea is a lot of those crimes are on the Hunter Biden laptop. The Hunter Biden laptop, you know, might be a big source of evidence against Hunter. And, uh, therefore that may be why the New York Times now look, is it a long shot? You know, we know Democrats rarely get indicted, especially high profile Democrats. So is it too good to be true? I mean, that would be epic. That would be so, so sweet and, and, and just so amazing to see Hunter Biden brought, the artist brought, you know, brought to justice and especially the president's own son. Remember all the talk about Don Jr. and Ivanka was the Trumps. The Trump family was supposed to be indicted, right? But there are no indictments against the Trump family because they've never done anything wrong. All, all that stuff was just fabricated. I mean, they, they, they're more investigated than anyone on the planet, the Trump family, and, and they still come out unscathed. It's like the ultimate evidence that they're innocent, the Trumps, is that if there was any tiny little jaywalking charge, believe me, these vicious Democrat prosecutors, 
they would have thrown the Trumps in jail right now. They would have indicted them any way they could, any tiny little crime. So it's it's like the ultimate exoneration is if you're the Trumps because there's no way you committed a crime and uh, they've been investigating you for years and years, literally with a fine tooth comb, and yet they don't indict you on one single charge. But if Hunter, the son of the president, a Democrat no less, gets indicted, I mean that would just be – it, just amazing. But, you know, again, let's not get our hopes up. But that is one theory. Um, meanwhile, back to the Hunter laptop, you know, the New York Post asked for comment from the 40 from the 51 Intel officials. There, there was a letter signed by 51 Intel officials, a bogus, phony letter back in October of 2020 that suggested they had no evidence. But they suggested that the Hunter laptop was part of a Russian disinformation campaign. And, of course, they did not respond to the New They were asked by the New York Post to respond to the latest um, claim by the New York Times, the admission, the confession that the Hunter Biden laptop was uh, authentic. And a couple of them responded. Most of them did not. It was vicious. It was evil that these these intel officials, all Democrats, claimed without evidence that it was Russian disinformation, which it was not. So James Clapper, former DNI, Director of National Intelligence, told The Post, I stand by the statement I made because sounding such a cautionary note at the time was appropriate. So, I mean, it's egregious. And uh, the New York Post points out that the former DNI, James Clapper, uh, he was either dead wrong or flat out lying. You know, they say, why does CNN and MSNBC still bring experts like James Clapper on? And they do. They, 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 they interview him all the time as a contributor his credibility should be less than zero at this point, along with the other intel officials. Events have proved time and again they either cannot get basic facts right uh, or they're so insanely partisan that they will fudge, fib, and falsify anything if it furthers their political goals. Not to mention Clapper's history of hyping hysteria on Russiagate. All right, Starbucks, the woke coffee company, has a new plan to phase out disposable cups. So I just want to spend a moment on this. Because, you know, all these companies, they make these, you know, radical, crazy environmental policies. They end up hurting the consumer and the policies don't even work and they're absurd. And very often the company, they just do it for the PR, for the soundbite, because they want to claim that they're environmentally friendly, that they're doing something to promote the climate, to promote the environment and prevent climate change. So the latest um, game plan of Starbucks is uh, going to be to phase out disposable cups, which is never going to happen. They want people to come in with reusable cups or they want people to put down a deposit, buy their coffee in a reusable cup, and then come back later and, um, you know, basically return the cup and get back their deposit. It's totally impractical. It's never going to work. And here's the problem. The problem is liberals, they come up with all these ideas to help the environment they're impractical. They're very highly disruptive to our lives. And very often they barely make a dent, even according to the liberals, you know, own belief about pollution and about climate change. These the, the, these these policies like they don't do anything. They, 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 so, they, they do such a minute, tiny amount that they disrupt people's lives in a huge way. And they're not even justifiable because if they have any benefit to the environment, it's it's extremely minimal. So what they do is they do it to get headlines. You know, they do they they have these policies which make no sense that cost lots of money to the consumers and it gets headlines and it does not even help the environment. That's the irony or it helps. the It's so minimal, the benefit to the environment. I mean, and, and, and it costs a lot. They're extremely disruptive, cost a lot of money 
for the consumer. I mean, New York and California, no plastic shopping bags, and you have to pay for paper bags. And the paper bags, they tear apart. You put things in there, even things that are not so heavy, they tear apart. They're incredibly inconvenient. And the store is filled with plastic. I mean, there's Coca-Cola bottles everywhere, right? And it's like they're never going to tell Coca-Cola and all sorts of just companies using plastic all over the store. They have a problem with my plastic shopping bag, but there's plastic everywhere. And they're not going to tell Coca-Cola or these big giant milk companies, then I can tell them to stop using plastic because they have these lobbyists all over and they're paying off millions of dollars to these politicians. But the consumer can suffer because uh, the politicians don't care about the consumer and they care about the soundbite and about the headline that claims that they're doing something to benefit the environment. Another example, there's all sorts of myths about you know how beneficial things are to the environment. And again, I say it's because the politicians are making these false narratives, these claims that they're helping the environment because they want to get votes and they want money from the environmental lobbies. But it's not true. Electric vehicles, right? Everybody thinks electric vehicles are better for the environment than, you know, gas powered vehicles. But it's actually if they're more if they're beneficial, it's much more marginal. They may not even be more beneficial, believe it or not. I mean, it's, it, we're so used to it's so ingrained in us. But even if they are beneficial, electric vehicles versus gas powered vehicles, combustion engines, it's marginal. Listen to this. Building a Tesla Model 3 and a Toyota RAV4 generates several tons of greenhouse gas emissions in order to smelt the aluminum and manufacture the components and assemble the vehicle. Yes, a Tesla Model 3 and a Toyota RAV4. And and I'm a fan of Elon Musk. That's not the issue. But don't think that Tesla is necessarily better for the environment. It takes the same amount. Both of them generate several tons of greenhouse gas emissions. Building a Tesla actually generates more emissions because of the metal needed for the lithium lithium ion batteries. So did you know that? Before it rolls off the assembly line, the Tesla has generated 65% more emissions than the RAV4. Think about that. Think about that. So now then, at a certain point, then obviously Tesla uses electricity. By the way, electricity also requires um, release of fossil fuels in order to generate electricity to power the Tesla. So even, even when the Tesla is actually charging at a charging station, it's charging from electricity. That electricity, believe it or not, is coming, is being manufactured by, by emitting fossil fuels. But, but, but in terms of before it actually gets off, rolls off the assembly line, a Tesla has generated 65% more fossil fuel emissions than the RAV4 because of all the metals that are needed for the lithium ion, ba- ion battery. But of course, Democrats are never going to tell you. Ocasio is never going to tell you that. And I would add EVs, electronic vehicles like Tesla and others, they are subsidized by the government. So think about that. We, we, we the taxpayers are paying for Teslas and for hybrids. Our taxes go up because or, 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 or the government borrows more money in order to pay for electronic vehicles. Why? Because they're better for the environment. Well, it turns out the environment is just an excuse. It, it turns out it may not be better for the environment, but at least it, 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 it's taxpayer subsidized. So basically, they're using the, the environment as an excuse to create a massive socialist program once again. I mean, even Ocasio-Cortez's advisor admitted that the architect of the Green New Deal, Ocasio's advisor, he admitted at one point, there's a recording of this, that the, the Green New Deal is not a climate thing. It's an economy thing. And uh, essentially admitting that the climate is just an excuse to take control of the economy, which is what socialists like Ocasio and the squad, that's their mission in life, is is, is to take over the economy. And the, the environment basically gives them this, in, this incredible pretense to be able to take over these massive, massive parts of the economy. All right, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.